All right. Everybody doing good today? Yeah? All right. It's nice to see you guys. Uh, I'm Pastor Chris. I am the uh, children's pastor here. I also work with volunteers. So uh, super fun to get to do this two weeks in a row. This is great. And uh, so a good chance to bring God's word. We, we are in a series about parables, which are uh, Jesus' stories to us about um, kind of everyday events that, that we would all know. Um, they're, they're kind of made up stories in that sense. There's, he's using Stories that, about things that we already know, but then making a very strong spiritual point. And um, if last week was my favorite parable, this is my second favorite parable. So I wanted to, to do this one. And our main idea today is this, is that we are to accept God's invitation to come as we are, but not to stay as we are. All right. And I'm curious, just as a kind of opening question, opening thought, have you, has anybody ever been invited to a really special dinner, uh, maybe with somebody famous? Anybody ever been to a really special dinner like that? Um, well, I haven't really been to something kind of like that. So I thought I'd write a, some letters and I would send them out. And so I, I sent a letter to King Charles after his coronation. Uh, coronation and I was congratulating him. And, and I asked him if, um, I told him, I said, I would love to be invited to England for a spot of tea. And, uh, and just to sit down with him and congratulate him. I, I had some concerns, you know, because he had said in his coronation, which was very Christian, by the way, if you watch the coronation, you know, but he said he was a uh, Defender of faith when it was normally, typically it would have been defender of the faith, which is the Christian faith, which is all over the coronation, and he wanted to be defender of faith. He's a very cosmopolitan kind of guy. And so, so for him, you know, all faiths are equal. I wanted to ask him about that. Haven't heard anything. Um, so it's like, well, okay, I'll send another letter to President Biden, kind of question him. You know, just ask him some questions about his stance on some different issues. I know he's a man of the people, good old Scranton Joe, right? And so I asked him if I could come to the next state dinner with him and discuss some of the things face-to-face, uh, just share some of my daily concerns, things that are on my heart. Um, haven't heard back. I mean, you think you know a guy, right? Um, and then I tried Governor Newsom. Um, I figured that's a short drive to Sacramento. I'd love to chat about his agenda. I was hoping maybe, maybe we could even drive up to Napa and dine together at the French Laundry. Um, I know he likes that place, so I thought, well, that's, you know. But nothing, nothing. It's crickets. Like, I haven't heard anything for these guys, received any invitations to come and, and, and hang out with them. Kind of upset. Missing my opportunity to see somebody really important and, and talk and eat together. And uh, it's like they don't even care about my life, you know? I see them on TV and stuff like that, and they just don't really care. So I went for a walk around my little neighborhood, just started praying, you know, and I was pouring my, God, my, my heart out to the God of the universe, you know, the Holy One who created everything by the breath of his mouth, the Almighty, uh, the one who knows everything about me. And the Bible says, you know, he's numbered the hairs on my head. Um, the beard, the beard, all right, the beard. I can grow hair on my head. But I'm confident that he heard it all. And I'm confident that he cares about it. So I didn't get to speak to a king, you know, after all, or either a governor or a president. But I got to speak to the prophet, priest, and king, the Almighty. And uh, I've gotten an invitation to the grandest dinner of them all, right? The wedding feast of the Lamb. And I already know what I'm going to wear. But I'm getting ahead of myself. 
I'll get there. See, we're looking at two parables today. They're, they're kind of basically the same parable. They're, they're similar stories, changing of some of the details and stuff. They're in Matthew 22 and Luke 14. Matthew 22, Luke 14. If you want to turn your Bible on, flip there, whatever. We're going to start in Matthew, or I'm sorry, Luke, Luke 14. And so Jesus kind of tells the same story, but he kind of tells it in two different ways, uh, emphasizing different points. You know how this goes. If you've got a great joke or a great story, you might change some of the details based on who's listening. You know what I mean? So Christy knows all my jokes and stuff. And so she knows all the stories where she could like retell the story. So you know how that goes, right? But both of them center on an invitation to a banquet, a, a wedding feast, a dinner. And so we'll, we'll start in Luke 14. And Jesus, um, at this point in the story, he's at a banquet of a prominent Pharisee. Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. Uh, he's sitting down with all these religious leaders and he's talking about um, a different variety of things that they would love. Healing on the Sabbath, um, God's principles of how mercy is greater than man's laws. Jesus is talking about, hey, when you go to a banquet, don't take the seat of honor. Like, take a seat of lesser honor so that way if somebody more important than you comes in, they'll, you, know, you don't get embarrassed because you have to move down to a lesser seat. But if you sit lower, then maybe the, the host will bring you up closer and you get honored in front of everybody, that kind of thing. And he, then he says, if, if you're giving a banquet, don't just invite those who can pay you back. So in verse 13, he says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so he's talking about etiquette at banquets. That's the topic of discussion. And there's this Pharisee at the meal, this religious guy who's a total brown noser. And he's just sucking up to Jesus. And then in verse 15, he says, When one of those at the table heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Who does he think he's talking about? Himself. He's, he's, he's the religious guy who's going to sit at the kingdom table with the Father. Right? See, the Jews had these legends and stories about what it would be like when the Messiah, their Savior that we just sang about, would come and save them. And a major picture of this was this messianic banquet, this wonderful banquet with, with the Messiah. And God would give this great feast for all his people. In fact, one of the things they said is he would serve the great sea creature Leviathan as the meal. It's kind of this part of the story and the myth that they had. So this great banquet, this is the great banquet that the Pharisee is thinking of. You know, for all the elite religious people like himself. You know, that kind of banquet where you didn't have to worry about the poor, the blind, the lame, and the crippled, or the cursed people. And there certainly wouldn't be any Gentiles there, those dirty Gentiles. No, the Messiah's banquet was for righteous Jews like this guy. And so Jesus is ready to correct that view. <laughs> And I want you to think about the best dinner you've ever had. So imagine how great this messianic banquet's going to be. But think about the best dinner you've ever had, right? And if you think about that, typically it's not when you went out by yourself and ate, right? Usually the best dinners, especially of something like a banquet, it's, it's way more about the company than it is the food, right? It's way more about who you're with than it is the food that you're eating. So today is uh, Christian, my 29th anniversary. So um, I know. She's a saint. <laughs> um, but some of our best memories are with, you know, dinners that we've had, fun dinners. You know, our, our honeymoon, we went down the coast, went to a place called AJ Spurs. Have you ever been to AJ Spurs? Man, we got a great prime rib. She got this great halibut. It was fantastic. Then, went, you know, we've been to this place in Capitola called Shadowbrook. Maybe some of you guys have been there. It's like up on the hillside. Very nice. I can remember. I still got the picture, one of my favorite pictures of us there. And uh, I got this picture. This was our first uh, date together. <laughs> I goes, wait. Yes, I had hair. And a mustache, all right? 
I don't know if I, I guess I didn't have any friends back then that told me a mustache just like that looked ridiculous, but whatever, they're coming back, so it's whatever. Um, no, but, but the best dinner, of course, was at Fresh Choice. Okay, you can take the picture down. Uh, no, uh, the best dinner I think that we had was our, our first dinner kind of alone. We had been friends for a long time, hung out in groups and stuff, so we had a lot of chance to talk, but we went to Fresh Choice at Stone Ridge Mall. Real fancy, right? But this was our, our best, uh, first, our first date alone. We, um, you know, talked so much. We, we hardly ate, and I think it was that night that I knew that she was the one. And, you know, I'm a fat boy at a buffet, dude. For, for, so for me to get one plate at a buffet, you know the conversation's good, right? And so, um, but we have all, we, we do, we have all these great memories around food, don't we? And, and it's just, think of something that God has put in us as humans, uh, as w- when we eat together. And I think it's this picture of heaven, of celebration and joy and feasting with people that we love. The messianic banquet of the king. And I'm not sure what you think heaven is going to be like, um, what you think that banquet might be like. You know, I've heard some people that say, well, heaven's going to be boring. We're just going to be singing all day and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. It's going to be boring. And uh, some think we're going to have little wings. We're going to fly around. We're going to look like this little thing up here, whatever this is. You know, whatever that is. I don't know. Whoever's in charge of the marketing of heaven needs to get a new job. Okay, because those, I mean, that, those wings are way too small to take that little pudge anywhere interesting. But and it's like my major goal in life was to get out of diapers. I don't plan on spending eternity in, in diapers. But heaven does not look like this, okay? Stop it. The great messianic banquet, the supper of the king is way better. It's the best meal you've ever eaten. It's the best friends you've ever been around. It's the best memories you've ever made. It's fun and joy and celebration and enthusiasm and friendship. And we only get glimpses of that on earth. You know? We have those moments, but they're fleeting. And it'd be really easy in our culture, kind of like this Pharisee here in this story, to assume that we're all going there. And Jesus is really clear that that's not true. So he tells uh, a parable of this great banquet, and he's, he's, there's so much here. It's so rich. But let's look at, at Luke 14, verse 15. Here's what he says. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said, Blessed is the one who will eat in the feast of the kingdom of God. That's the, the Pharisee. In verse 16, he says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to, to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I bought, just bought a field. I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another, I just got married, so I can't come. You see, in ancient days, the day of a feast like this would have been announced far in advance, and invitations would have sent out. People would have accepted. And then when it was time, when the meal was ready, would have sent his servants out and said, because they didn't have refrigerators and that kind of thing, so you got to wait till the food's kind of ready. And then they would send the servants out, hey, the, the meal is ready, it's ready today, come on over. And these guests that had already accepted the invitation to the banquet, all of a sudden now they have an excuse, a reason not to come. They accepted beforehand, Rejected the day of, that's a grave insult. And I'm thinking, how many of us really resist moving toward the kingdom of God for lame excuses? I'm really busy now. Work is crazy. Just a really busy season right now. You know, the kids, the kids are young, so we want to do things with them. Or the, the kids are teens, so we have travel ball. We're spending a lot of money on it, so we kind of got to go. Uh, the kids are out of the house, and so now it's our time to travel. I'm single now. These years are for me. Or I've got a new relationship to focus on. Or I've never been religious. Or I've never really been into organized religion. I guess they like disorganized religion. I don't know. Whatever that means. <laughs> but many who 
have raised their hands or walked the aisle or said yes to Jesus years ago, kind of consider it and treat it like it's a one-time decision and not a lifetime pursuit. And they're making the mistake that this Pharisee made here and those who were invited to this banquet to be very presumptuous of God's grace. You see, well, as long as I made a one-time decision to follow God, I can slack into indifference and apathy. Because that works really well when you're married, right? You know, I said I do. And, and then you just stop trying. It's kind of like the guy who says, you know, well, well, I told you I loved you at the wedding, and if I change my mind, I'll let you know. Yeah, that doesn't work, right? Lame excuses and apathy do not work in our marriages and or, or in our relationship with God. So as you are working hard and getting promoted or getting your GPA up or raising perfect kids or updating your life on socials, taking vacations, getting kids to practice, getting the house just right, sipping mimosas, whatever you're doing, don't presume on God's grace as if your spiritual indifference to him doesn't matter. See, the, the three excuses here that these guys give kind of follow a little bit of a pattern. We've seen it elsewhere uh, when Jesus makes a call to discipleship with his, with his people. There are things that people will put before God. And, and I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying that these things are not important. Of course, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they are secondary to building your relationship with God. So please don't use them as an excuse as to why you can't grow your relationship with God. They're dreams, possessions, and relationships. See, the first guy said, I just bought a field. Dreams, right? Dreams of a huge harvest and riches. And, but surely he didn't buy the field unseen. Land would stay for generations in, in the Jewish society. And, and it was a really long process. He knew exactly what he had. He's making an excuse. The second one, five yoke of oxen, that's possessions. And that's like a, a farmer buying heavy machinery or just somebody getting a, it's not just a new toy he got. I mean, this is a major pur purchase for him. And so he would have checked it out. He would have negotiated the price. He knows what he just got. Or the guy who said he just got married, that's relationships. Back then, they would, have, they would give a man who just got married a year off of military service so he could be at home with his wife. He had plenty of time with his wife. So for him to think that his wife didn't want to get dressed up and go and see people and eat fine food, but would rather sit at home. <laughs> That's a dumb husband. Okay. <laughs> see, all three excuses are things that could wait. They're all going to be there when they got back from the banquet. And isn't it funny, the excuses? Now, let's be honest. We all do. I mean, the excuses that we give. And I, I'm kind of thinking, if, if people gave excuses as to why they don't grow in their relationship with the Lord or why they, they, don't, why they reject God or church, if they applied those excuses to taking a shower, it might sound like this. Well, I was forced to shower as a child. I don't need to as an adult. Uh, people who make soap are only in it for the money. I shower only on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. Uh, people who shower are hypocrites. They think they're cleaner than everybody else. There are so many other kinds of soap, I just can't decide. I used to shower, but it got boring. I stopped. I stopped showering during the pandemic. I just never really got back into it. Um, none of my friends shower, so I don't look weird. Uh, when I start showering, I'll start showering when I'm older and I have kids. Um, man, life's really busy right now. Showering is just one more thing. Or, well, we have a travel ball tournament and we're spending a lot of money on it and they always schedule it during my shower time. See how stupid that sounds, right? Albert Moeller, wonderful guy, he says, anyone listening to this parable would immediately understand the basic irrationality, unspeakable rudeness, and unthinkable stupidity of turning down this royal invitation. 
See, in Matthew 22, in the Matthew 22 version of the parable, again, similar parables told in a little different way. It's not just a landowner. It's the king giving a wedding feast for his son. This is a royal wedding. And that really raises the stakes. So let's look at Matthew 22 now. Jesus spoke to them again in parables. It's going to sound similar, right? Spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants, so two invitations, and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to my wedding banquet. What a picture of God's grace in this invitation and the insanity of human sin to reject it. I mean, after the initial rebuff of the servants to that we can't come, he sends servants again to ask them a second time and details how great of a celebration this is, how magnificent of an event, and gives them a personal invitation. And, and where it says there that they refuse to come, in the Greek, that's really the, that's the imperfect tense, which is a, just a tense of the verb. And, but it describes ongoing action, as if it was this repeated refusal to come. And it says they paid no attention, right? That's just apathy and indifference. And thinking, how many people do you know that are just indifferent to the gospel, apathetic about eternity? And you know, God takes being lukewarm very seriously, much more seriously than we think, because it's treating him as unholy. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But worse yet, in verse 5, but they paid no attention and they went off, one to his field, another to his business, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. See, this is more than just being rude. They're actually killing the servants. In the same way that the Jews would kill the prophets of God in years past. And for these guys, this would be just days later they would kill Jesus. See, it's rude to reject an invitation two times. But to murder a messenger is treason against the crown. This is very grave. And Jesus shows the gravity by of, of rejecting the king's invitation. In verse 7, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. The king ain't playing around. See, just before this story in Matthew 21, Jesus was telling another parable, and he tells a parable of these wicked tenants, this landowner who had rented out his land to the tenants, and then when the harvest came, he sends some servants over there to get some, uh, some of the fruit. And they... Uh, beat up the servants, and he's like, what happened? So he says, well, surely, he did it a couple times, and then he sends his son. Surely they'll, they won't mistreat my son. And then they killed the son. And Jesus asked these same Pharisees, he says, what, would, what should be done with these wicked uh, um, tenants? And they said to Jesus, he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end. I mean, he, that landowner is going to kill those guys. And yet, days later, these very same Pharisees would be killing the Son of God. You see, as gracious as the king is to invite these guys and all these people into his joy, it is wrathful. He, he is wrathful to destroy them for their treason. He is gracious, but he is wrathful. And he ain't playing. And in verse 8, it says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. They were not worthy. See, I think just as we misinterpret heaven, <laughs> we think that hell is no big deal. See, but God's wrath of hell is much more about humanity's choice in rejecting than it is God being mean. 
This is way less about God rejecting them and more about them rejecting God. Remember that guy, Marilyn Manson, little musician guy? He, he, he said one time, he said, why would I want to go to heaven? There's nothing but a bunch, but a bunch of blankety-blank Christians there. See, if you're indifferent to Jesus on the earth and you have lame excuses, spiteful rejection, or just indifference, what would make you think that he would force you to spend eternity with him? <laughs> his banquet is joy for those who love the king, who want to celebrate the, his son. So Jesus is saying, my kingdom is one of joy and peace and security and happiness, and you are all personally invited but to be a part of the kingdom celebration is the greatest bliss you could ever know as a human being. But to refuse to enter the kingdom of the benevolent king is inexcusable treason. So back to Luke 14. We'll go back to the original story here. It says, the servant came back and reported this to his master that these, these guys had rejected. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said... What you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out in the roads and country lanes and compel them to come so that my house will be full. I tell you, none of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So, so what's going on in the story? Well, obviously the master stands for God. Those first invited with the lame excuse, those were the Jews. That was these, these Pharisees and the other Jews that he was talking to. The p poor, blind, lame, crippled, they were probably more the outcasts of Jewish society, you know, tax collectors, sinners, stuff like that. But probably those on the country lanes and those way far out would have probably represented something like the Gentiles, like those who, who didn't have the Old Testament law and things like that. And Al Mohler again, he says, the point then is that it is the unlikely and unpredicted who will enter the kingdom, not those who believe themselves to be the earthly representatives of it. You see, all are welcome to accept the invitation, not just the elites, not just the Pharisees or the outwardly good. In fact, many times those are the ones who miss it. All humanity is made in God's image and many at the wedding feast are not the A-list elites. Aren't you glad? Because <laughs> we're not. God is happy that, to allow sinful nobodies like us in. He came to seek and save the lost. Not, those, not just those who rigorously keep the law and boast of their worthiness. And if you'll notice last week, remember last week's um, parable, that the landowner initiated contact with those workers, right? They, he says, come work in my vineyard. They were in the town square. He went and initiated um, them to come and called them into his vineyard. And this week, the, the man and the king, the landowner and the king, he invites them to his banquet. He sends out the invitation. They didn't invite themselves. See, our salvation is initiated by God. You being here this morning is his doing. He is pursuing you. He finds us and he invites us. And all we do is respond. We accept or reject. I mean, maybe you felt that nobody invites you or initiates with you this rela a relationship or you're always the one to take the first step and you wish others would think of you and invite you places. Well, that's what the Lord does for us. He wants his house to be full, he says. He wants to compel us, he says, to come. Not force us, but compel us. And no doubt Jesus is telling his servants here to cast a wide net. Tell anybody about the feast because it gives the king great joy to see others share in the joy of his son. Back to the Matthew story. Um, 
But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here uh, without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The picture, the biblical picture of hell there. And that sounds really extreme, doesn't it? Like we've all made that faux pas. We show up somewhere we're underdressed. Like that's just a common mistake. That's not what's happening here, okay? Um, It sounds a little extreme unless you understand what's being said. It's not just that this guy was underdressed. It's that he's pridefully failed to wear the specific garments that were appropriate for a wedding. And I'm thinking, was this one of those guys who initially um, was invited and then changed his mind but didn't want to change his clothes? Instead, he comes to the king's party without any intention of honoring the king. It's like showing up to your mom's funeral in board shorts, flip-flops, and a tank top. And you're like, it's my mom's funeral. You know, or muddy and greasy or something like that. So this guy thinks that he can just wear his old ratty clothes and come as he was and then stay that way. And he came really as an insult to the king. But he wants all the benefits of the banquet without honoring his ruler. And isn't that our culture? We want the kingdom without the king. There's a great video, saw it somewhere, R.C. Sproul, he's dead now, great theologian. He said, the Bible says that, the Bible says that natural man does not seek after God. Like on our own, we just don't, we don't seek after God. He says, where do we get the idea that all these unbelieving people are seeking after God? He says, people will say, well, my friend's not a Christian, but they're seeking God. And he says, by doing that, we assume that they're seeking God. But when we look at them, really what they're seeking is the benefits that only God can give. See, they want security. They want peace of mind. They want release from their shame and guilt. They want purpose. And so we assume that they're seeking after God. And all the while, they're running away from him as fast as they can. They want the benefits of him, but they don't want him. Now, for us, we know that ultimately they're seeking God. Because God's put eternity in all of our hearts, and we all seek God. But those people limit their search to only what God can give them, not to him, the person of God. They want the benefits of the kingdom without the king. And that's why I say that, you know, these pursuits of modern society, the dreams, the possessions, the relationships are secondary. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying they're secondary. Then this quest for the good life on our own terms. That's who this guy showing up to the, to the wedding banquet in his own dirty clothes. That's what this is. This is our culture's um, quest for individualism, right? I know what's best for me. I determine my reality. I define myself. I craft heaven for myself. Isn't that what our culture offers all the time? That you're, you can be anything your mind can dream of. But that's not how reality works. We know that. There's a great quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, you can't go against the grain of the universe and expect not to get splinters. You can't have the blessings without the blesser. You can't enjoy creation without a creator. You can't have the kingdom without the king. And so all the living creatures in the book of Revelation at the end of time are crying out. The Bible says day and night, they never stop saying. And what are they saying? Yeah, they are not saying, hold God, you are holy. They're not saying, God, you are holy, holy. (laughs) They're saying, God, you are holy, holy, holy. 
is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. See, in Jewish literature, if they wanted to emphasize something important, they would say it three times. And it never says that God is loving, loving, loving. Justice, justice, justice. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Wrath, wrath, wrath. No, he is holy. And you will not. Please, friends, do not approach the Lord God Almighty on your terms. Expecting him to accommodate you. I know it goes against all the lies of our culture, but we accommodate and yield to him. He is holy, holy, holy. And if you want to enter God's wedding banquet, you better enter with proper clothes. You're going to want him, not just his feast. This is way more about the company than it is the food. As we've been talking through Romans, uh, Pastor Mike's been talking about, a lot about our own righteousness, you know. We come with us many times with our own righteousness, but it's not our own righteousness. It's the righteousness that Jesus gives to us. It's this great exchange, right? It's this trade that God makes with us where we give him our old sin, our old ratty, dirty clothes, and he gives us beautiful robes of righteousness to wear. It's this wonderful trade. Anybody should take that trade, right? Now, I mean, I'm not trying to be overly gross. I'm just trying to be accurate with the text because when the Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags, like when all of our good works and all the things that we think make us viable and appropriate to God, it says they are as filthy rags. I don't know if you know this, but it's speaking of a menstrual cloth. It's saying that our, in our sin, even our good works are like a used tampon. And so to trade that for Jesus' perfect roads of righteousness... Look at Isaiah 61. It says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And as many of you know, the Bible describes us, his church, as his bride. So he invites you as you are, but you cannot stay that way. The Bible says you must be born again. You must have new life. Be regenerated. You are a new creation in Christ. You have been made alive. See, the banquet is an open invitation, but there is a dress code. And everyone is welcome at the table, but the table changes us. And if it doesn't, then we're not truly guests. We're just wedding crashers trying to sneak in the back door and dishonoring the host. So this man in the parable is, is given a chance to repent. The guy says, this is a friend. How did you get in here? He calls him friend. How did you get in here wearing that? And what does it say? He remains speechless. Can you imagine the shock on judgment day of being asked why you think you can enter heaven just because you're a nice guy and a sweet gal? Why you rejected God's invitation to come on his terms can you picture yourself standing before a holy God with nothing to say? Just go. Of why you were indifferent to him. See, this man was not cast out of the banquet because he was unworthy. We all are. But it's because he re refused to enter worthily, to admit his fault, to come on God's terms, which is Jesus' righteousness. And so the point is that the marriage feast, the supper of the Lamb, are for those with Christ's righteousness, not our own. And if you insist that your righteousness is good enough, or you remain indifferent and apathetic with lame excuses of all these reasons why you can't be fully devoted to Christ, Jesus gives a grave warning that you'll be cast out. It's not about clothing, it's about your heart. And so those who enter do so by God's grace, free to, receive, free to those who receive it. The gospel is exclusive. 
You come as you are, but you don't stay that way. And how presumptuous and arrogant to come in your old dirty rags when he offers you a change of clothes of perfect white garments. So in Revelation, this is what it says in verse 19, 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters and a loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Remember, that's us. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. It's a celebration we all wait for. Now you've been to a wedding, right? Many of you, we've all been to weddings, right? And uh, you get to see how beautiful the bride is. And I still remember, you know, how Christy looked at the wedding. And that's uh, my little icon on the picture when she calls me. Got a little picture here. Yeah, again, hair, mustache. Yes, I know. Okay, anyway, get that done with that. Um, that was 29 years ago today. Um, no, I get, a lot of ch- I get a chance to do a lot of weddings. And uh, you know how it is. And you're like, we all stand for the bride. Everybody else walks in. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then the bride, uh, would you please stand for the bride? You know, and everybody turns and they want to see the bride. Smart people, though, they look at the groom's reaction. So if your next wedding you go to, make sure you check the, the groom's reaction. Um, just a little pro tip. Um, but I've done a lot of weddings, a lot of weddings. And when those doors swing open and that bride is there with her father ready to give her away, and she's coming down and she's presented to her groom, yeah, he just adores her. I mean, you've never seen a guy more vulnerable and gushy. And I tell him all the time, I'm like, dude, listen, your mind is going to be mushy. I said, don't. Don't think. Just take it in. Don't try to think. I'll tell you what to do. When it's your turn, time to walk forward, I'll, I'll nudge you. Just, I'll tell you, go. Because you're going to be like a mush ball. You know, just be in the moment. And, and he loves her, man. You know. But it's nothing like the sacrifice that Jesus has made for his bride. If you don't think that Jesus gushes over us <laughs> as his bride, he calls us to himself and we respond and love him back. The Father has sent the invitation, made everything ready, given us robes of righteousness, and he longs for us to come. He compels us so that his house may be full. In Revelation 19.9, it says, And the angel said to me, does this maybe sound familiar? Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Isn't that what the Pharisee said? Only this time it's an angel. He's not schmoozing. He's calling it. So the fact that you're here today, hearing the good news of invitation, that Jesus died to remove your sin, salvation is free, as an invitation to you on the cross, it puts a lot more weight on our response. Will you come to the feast? Will you give a lame excuse or remain indifferent? Will you stop thinking you're good enough to get in on your own? Because the parable teaches us these three things. Number one is that the kingdom has gates. It has gates, and you must enter through them. There is no back door. And number two, that the the gates are wide open. So it's not just for the elites. It's not just for the A-listers. This is for everyone. We're all invited. And then number three, that it's a feast. It's a celebration. Let's act like it. Let's be happy about our salvation. God means it to be enjoyed. He is a God of joyous laughter, full bellies, and second helpings. Aren't you glad? I'm pretty sure that calories don't count the same in, in heaven. You know what I'm saying? I, there's no way it's described at a feast and we're counting calories and carbs. There's no way. We're just getting, you know, I don't know. But Psalm 1611, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. 
Recently, there was a Michigan seventh grader. His name is Dylan Reeves. There was a video of it. He saves a, saved a busload of kids because the driver, the school bus driver, had passed out. And this kid, uh, the bus is careening off the road, and this kid, Dylan, realized it, and he jumps up. It's a great little video. And he, he's reaching over, and he's stepping on the gas pedal and, and holding up the driver and presses the brake to stop, yells at the kids, call 911. But nobody else noticed except for Dylan. You know Why? The only kid sitting on the bus without a cell phone. Um, he doesn't have one. So he was watching life. <laughs> and he was able to help those around him. And isn't that just an illustration of what we do with our life? We got our heads buried in these lesser things. Dreams, possessions, relationships sometimes. Now again, I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm not saying cell phones are bad. Although for a seventh grader, maybe it is. Um, probably is. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm important. I'm just saying that, that all of that stuff takes second place to God's invitation. And so often we got our heads down in these daily things and we forget to lift up and look at this wonderful invitation that God is giving us to come. See, last week's parable was about, uh, we were saying that God's grace, and I was making the point that it's both gentle and severe. There's grace, but there's also judgment, and there's really no middle ground. And so the sad reality is that many who receive the invitation, they may initially respond yes, but then later reject. It's kind of like the first parable Pastor Mike was talking about where the seed is cast and it sprouts up a little bit and it's choked out by weeds or choked out by rocky soil, and, and they refuse the invitation. And, and, and refusing the invitation is not just run-of-the-mill rudeness. It's treason against a king with eternal consequences. And being indifferent means that you remain in your sin and you've rejected the invitation. God's judgment is just. And there's no greater decision in your life. And the end of the parable, uh, Jesus says, for many are invited, but few are chosen. So unlike me with uh, Biden and Newsom, you are invited to a wonderful feast and I hope you accept. All right, let's pray. Father... Thank you for your wonderful grace to us, Lord. You are so good. Lord, uh, we are, you are so kind to us. And, and Lord, you, you come and you get us and you, you receive us, Lord. And, and, and then you give us these wonderful righteous robes. Lord, I, I think sometimes we have our heads down and we just don't even see what's right in front of us. The goodness of our God, our creator. So, Father, I... I realize we all come from all these different places with all these heavy hearts and things, Lord, that are going on in our lives, Lord, that may distract us. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, if there's anybody right here that, that wants to admit that they've just been distracted, Lord, that they would confess that to you. Forgiveness is right there. Lord, they can come to you and receive forgiveness, Lord. Maybe they know you already, but they just realize, I've been away for too long. Lord, I pray that they would come back. Lord, I realize there's some that maybe have never um, received the invitation. Lord, they, they realize it's sitting there and they've just not RSVP'd yet. And Lord, I pray that they would. They would realize that the time is short. Lord, we don't know how many days we have left. And Lord, the invitation is sitting there to the most wonderful, amazing banquet. We, how could we possibly be indifferent to it? Lord, I pray that they might just right here, right now, Lord, receive your salvation. Just admit that we're a sinner to um, receive the gift of salvation and make a decision, 
Lord, in our lives that we will be counted among those who are your bride. And there's no turning back. Lord, I pray that they would pray in their hearts for you, uh, to you right now, receiving your salvation. And they would tell one of us, Lord, that they've done that. Lord, I pray that they would let us know we can help them, Father. Uh, So Lord, again, we're all so thankful. What a gracious and wonderful God you are. And we praise you. Amen.